innovative storage solution? We've got it taped. Why the old ones are sometimes still the good ones? Close your eyes and imagine for a moment a computer room in the early days of the industry. Chances are you'll picture large wardrobe-sized metal cabinets whirring away with white-coated attendants tending to their every need. And it won't be long before your eye lands on the ubiquitous spools of tape being loaded and unloaded. Which might give us a smug feeling as we look at the storage solutions for our current generation of computers, probably based on some incredibly fast access, high-capacity, solid-state flash drive technology. It's been quite a journey. The arc stretches way, way back from our recent years of hard disk drives and then SD cards through to the wonderful world of floppy disks and then those disks getting larger and more rigid as we go back further in time to the clunky 1980s when our home computers were driven on cassette drives and right back to the prehistoric days when the high priests of the mini and mainframe computer tended their storage flock of tapes. Ancient history, except that the tape drive hasn't gone away. In fact, it's alive and well and backing up our most precious memories. Look inside the data farms operated by Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, anyone else, and you'll find large computers and lots of tape. Thousands of kilometers of it containing everything from your precious family photos to email backups to data from projects like the Large Hadron Collider. Turns out that tape is still an incredibly reliable medium and it has the considerable advantage of being cheap. The alternative would be buying lots of hard drives, something which increasingly matters as the volume of data that we're storing is growing. Think about this Internet of Things, all those intelligent devices, whether they're security cameras or mobile phones, manufacturing performance, data loggers, hospital diagnostic equipment, they're all generating data which needs secure long-term storage. We've moved long past the era of measuring storage in kilobytes or even megabytes. Now we're into zettabytes each one the equivalent of 250 billion DVDs. In 2020, the estimates suggested we produce close to 59 zettabytes of data, and that's projected to rise to 175 zettabytes by 2025. Now, fortunately, as IBM scientist Mark Lance, who's an expert in storage, suggests, we can keep scaling tape and doubling capacity every two and a half years for the next 20 years. Plus, tape offers a number of other advantages, not least in terms of security. Most of the time a tape cartridge is not plugged into a computer, and so it's pretty immune to those visiting viruses and malware. In fact, the market for magnetic tape storage is in robust health. It's currently worth nearly $5 billion and expected to grow to double that size by 2030. Not bad for a technology coming up on its 100th anniversary. And making all of this possible, of course, 
is our old friend, innovation. It's been a classic journey of incremental improvement, doing what we do, but better, punctuated with the occasional breakthrough. It all started in 1877 when Mary Had a Little Lamb was recorded and played on Thomas Edison's first experimental talking machine called a phonograph. The sounds were stored on wax cylinders and severely limited in capacity. The first tape recorder was developed in 1886 by Alexander Graham Bell in his labs uh, and they were using paper with beeswax coated on it. This patented approach never really took off because the sound reproduction was inferior to Edison's wax cylinders. But others soon explored alternatives. For example, Franklin G. Goodale adapted movie film for analog audio recording and received a patent for his invention in 1909. His film used a stylus to record and play back, essentially mimicking Edison's approach but allowing for much more storage. But in parallel with the wax-based approach, another strand emerged in 1898 with the work of Voldemar Poulsen, a Danish scientist who built on an idea originally suggested 10 years earlier by Oberlin Smith. Now this used the concept of a wire which could be spooled on which information was encoded magnetically. Poulsen's model used cotton thread, steel sawdust and metal wire and was effectively the world's first tape recorder. He called it a telegraphone. Which brings us to another common innovation theme, convergence. If we fast forward, a term itself which we originated in the world of tape recording, but if we fast forward to the 1930s, we can see these two strands coming together. German scientists working for the giant BASF company built on a patent registered to Fritz Fleumer in 1928. They developed a magnetic tape using metal oxide coated onto plastic film, which could be used for recording sound on a commercial basis. In 1934, they delivered the first 50,000 meters of this tape to the giant electronics company AEG. Now the big advantage of magnetic recording was that it didn't rely on a physical analog being etched onto wax or to other media. Instead, the patterns could be encoded and read as electrical signals. It wasn't long before tape recording took over as the dominant design. And one of the early entrants to this was the 3M company in the United States. Now, they got a long history of coating surfaces with particles, having begun life making sandpaper, and moving on to create a successful business out of the first adhesive masking tape, and then the ubiquitous scotch tape. So coating metal oxide onto tape was an obvious move, and they quickly became a key player in the industry. Now, innovation is always about the interplay between needs and means, and the tape recording business received a fillip from the growing radio industry in the 1940s. Tape offered to speed up and simplify the recording process, and an early fan was Bing Crosby. He'd become fed up with the heavy schedule of live broadcasting 
which kept him away from his beloved golf course, and so was drawn to the idea of pre-recording his shows. But the early disc-based technology wasn't really up to the task. It was filled with hisses and scratches and poor sound quality. Crosby's sound engineer had come across the idea of tape recording and worked with 3M to refine the technology. The very first radio show anywhere in the world to be recorded directly on magnetic tape was broadcast on the 1st of October 1947, featuring Crosby. It not only opened up a profitable line of new business for 3M, it also did its bit for changing the way in which the world consumed entertainment, be it drama, music hall or news. It was also a shrewd investment for Bing Crosby, who became one of the emerging industry's backers. Which brings us to another kind of innovation interplay, this time between different approaches being taken in the worlds of consumer entertainment and industrial computing. Now, ever since Marconi, Tesla and others had worked on radio, there'd been a growing interest in consumer applications which could exploit the technology. And with the grandchildren of Edison's gramophone in the 1940s, the world of television joining them, the home became an increasingly interesting space for electronics entrepreneurs. But as the domestic market for fixed appliances grew saturated, so the search began for mobile solutions. Portability became an important driver for the industry and gave rise, not least, to the transistor radio. It wasn't long before the in-car entertainment market began to take off as well. And an early entrant here was the 8-track tape cartridge in the mid-1960s, which allowed you to listen to your favourite tracks without lugging a portable gramophone with you. Philips developed the compact cassette and licensed it for free to promote rapid and widespread adoption. And this led to an explosion in demand. Something like a hundred billion cassette tapes were eventually sold worldwide. And eventually that led to the idea of the Walkman, the first portable device for recorded and recording music. Without which we'd be a little less satisfied. Specifically, we'd never have been introduced to one of the Rolling Stones' greatest hits, as Keith Richards explained in his 2010 autobiography. I wrote the song Satisfaction in my sleep. I didn't know at all that I'd recorded it. The song only exists, thank God, thanks to the little Philips cassette recorder. I looked at it in the morning. I knew I'd put a new tape in the night before, but it was at the very end. Apparently, I had recorded something. I rewound and then satisfaction sounded, followed by 40 minutes of snoring. Meanwhile, back in the emerging computer industry of the 1950s, there was a growing demand for storage media, for which magnetic tape seemed well suited. Cue those images we imagined at the beginning of this piece, those acolytes dutifully tending the vast mainframe machines. Early computers had used punched cards and then paper tape, but these soon reached the limit of their usefulness. Instead, the industry began exploring magnetic audio tape. 
IBM's team, under the leadership of Wayne Winger, developed digital tape-based storage. Of particular importance was finding ways to encode those ones and zeros of binary patterns onto the tape. They introduced the commercial digital tape recorder in 1952, and it could store for its time an impressive two megabytes of data on a single reel of tape. Not everyone was convinced. As Winger recalled, a white-haired IBM veteran in Poughkeepsie pulled a few of us aside and told us, you young fellas remember, IBM was built on punched cards and our foundation will always be punched cards. Fortunately, Tom Watson Jr., son of the company's founder, became a champion and the project went ahead. But while tape dominated in the short term, another parallel trajectory was soon established, replacing tapes and reels with disk drives, whose big advantage was the ability to randomly access data rather than wait for the tape to arrive at the right place on the playback head. IBM once again led the way with its launch in 1956 of the hard disk drive and began a steady stream of innovation in which storage volumes and density increased while size decreased. The landscape moved through various generations of external drives until the advent of a personal computer when those drives migrated inside the box and became increasingly small and floppy. Those developments were taken up by the consumer electronics industry with their growing use of discs as an alternative recording and playback medium, spanning various formats, but also decreasing in size, which of course opened the way for more portability and people like Sony and Sharp started launching mini disc players in the early 1980s. All of this great use for the personal audio experience, but less so for the rapidly expanding information technology industry. While these new media storage technologies continued to improve, they came at a cost. And with the exponential increases in the volumes of data needing to be stored, came a renewed interest in alternative and cheaper solutions. The road was leading back to good old-fashioned tape. Its potential is in long-term storage and retrieval of so-called cold data. Most of what's stored in the cloud today is of this kind. Images, emails, all sorts of backup files. And while these need to be around, they don't have to be accessed instantly. And that's where tape has come back into its own. Today's tapes have moved on somewhat from IBM's rather limited two megabytes of capacity back in the 1950s. The tapes are smaller on the outside, but their capacity has grown enormously. They can now hold around 20 terabytes, or if compressed, 60 terabytes. That's a 10 million fold increase over the last 70 years. The tapes are not wound by hand onto capstans anymore. Instead, they're loaded into cartridges, each of which hold around a kilometre of tape. Companies use libraries of these containing tens of thousands of cartridges, which can be mounted and demounted by automated systems employing robots. 
The process takes about 90 seconds to locate a cartridge, access and load the tape. So you could be forgiven for thinking it's a bit slow compared to your flash drive, which has an access time measured in milliseconds. There's a pattern here. Established and once important technologies giving way to new kids on the block with their apparently superior technological performance. But we've learned that we shouldn't necessarily write the old technologies off. At the minimum, there's often a niche for them amongst enthusiasts. Think about vinyl records, or about the anti-MP3 backlash from hi-fi fans, or more recently, photography going back to using film and even plates rather than their digital counterparts. But it's more than just nostalgia which drives this persistence of the old. Sometimes, like our magnetic tape, there are performance features which are worth holding on to. In this case, trading speed for security and lower storage cost, for example. Sometimes there's a particular performance niche where the new technology can't really enter competitively. For example, the persistence of fax machines in healthcare where they still offer a secure and reliable way of transmitting sensitive information. At the limit, we might argue that neither cash nor physical books are as good as their digital rivals, but their persistence points to other attributes which people continue to find valuable. And sometimes it's about the accumulated underlying knowledge base which that old technology represents and which might be redeployed to advantage in a different field. Think of Fujifilm's resurgence as a cosmetics and pharmaceutical company on the back of its deep knowledge of emulsions and coatings which it learned in the old-fashioned film industry. Or look at Kodak's ability to offer high-speed, high-quality printing on the back of knowledge it originally acquired in that same old film industry their knowledge about how to accurately spray and target millions of droplets onto a surface. And it was 3M's deep understanding of how to coat materials onto tapes, gained originally from selling masking tape in the factories and paint shops of Detroit, that helped it move so effectively into the field of magnetic tape. Now, keeping these technologies alive isn't about just putting them on life support. As the IBM example demonstrates, it needs a commitment to regular incremental innovation, driving and optimizing performance. And there's still room for breakthroughs within those trajectories. In the case of magnetic tape storage, it came in 2010 in the form of something called the linear tape file system as an open standard. The key to that was that it allowed tape drives to emulate that random access capacity of their hard disk competitors. It uses metadata about whereabouts on a tape particular data is actually stored. So whichever way you look at it, there's a need for innovation, whether it's bringing a breakthrough to an existing field or helping sustain a particular niche for the long haul. We shouldn't be too quick to write off old technologies as new ones emerge which appear superior. 
It's worth remembering that the arrival of the steamship didn't wipe out the shipyards building sailing ships around the world. It actually spurred them on to what became a golden era of performance improvement, which it took steamships a long time to catch up with. So there's often a lot of life left in old dogs, especially if we can teach them some new innovative tricks. Mm -hmm.